BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the Situation Room. Welcome to the Situation Room. Welcome to the Situation Room. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Situation Room and we are here at the start of the NFL season. Um, I am excited to be here with my co-host Gabe Ferguson. You guys can find him at Gabe Fergie on Twitter. You can find me at Raven Sit Room. I'm Jordan Coe. And uh, Gabe, we just got the first game of the year in the books between the Rams and the Bills and the Bills certainly did not let down to their preseason hype. Uh, not one bit. I think they basically won the Super Bowl at this point, as far as I can tell. Yeah, Josh Allen's the MVP, too. Everybody picked them to be the team. They came out and dismantled the you know, the champs in their home stadium on the Thursday night game. So it was an um, interesting game for sure. I think you know, you know, know, Josh Allen had, had a nice performance, even though he threw two interceptions. One wasn't his fault. But the defense of, of the Bills was what caught my attention. They sacked Stafford seven times without blitzing once. That is not something you can just do at any given week. I have a pretty strong disagreement with the idea that that first interception wasn't Josh Allen's fault. He threw the ball. He threw his receiver directly into the defender running face-to-face with him. So if he didn't at least intercept it because the guy didn't catch it, he was going to get completely plowed over. Like Allen was putting his receiver at risk. It was a bad throw in a bad situation. And like this idea that like Josh Allen is completely void of culpability on that play just annoys me. But so does the Josh Allen hype. <laughs> yes, we know that Jordan hates Josh Allen with the fire of, of burning sun. So we won't More go into that game anymore. We will get back to the Ravens. But um, it is good to have some NFL football to talk about. You know, we're here to talk about the Ravens. Um, season's about to start, and we're very excited for actual football to finally be in front of us. Yeah, super excited. And, you know, as we look at the Ravens season, I thought, you know, when we talked about how we were going to kind of set up the season, I think the best way to do this is just kind of go through every position group because the Ravens have got a lot of interesting question marks, a lot of strengths, a lot of, you know, this is a team that that should be good, you know, for for anything that you want to account for last year and, you know, call them last place in the division. Um, At one point, they were eight and three. They were first in the division. Um, They were first in the AFC and they were doing so even at that time with a large number of injuries being kind of carried through there. So um, there's got to be some assumption that any return to norm in terms of those injuries is going to elevate this team pretty significantly. But let's break down these position groups and and talk about kind of where we think some of those strengths are. And, you know, if we start on offense, the easy one, the easy place to start is quarterback. And the Ravens have got a legitimate MVP candidate running the show. They've got as good of a backup as I think that any team in the league has playing for them right now. Um, So you've got to feel pretty good or pretty comfortable with the Ravens situation and quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Lamar is poised for a big season. I think we both feel that way. I think um, he's a dark horse candidate for MVP. Um, You know, he's looking different this year. He put on muscle. He looks like he's been working in the weight room. He's been working with his quarterback coach. Um, You know, Greg Roman came out and said, you know, the ball's leaving his hand a little bit differently. He has a little bit more, you know, ability in terms of a passer. Um, You know, some people saw that as a slight. I think that's the the truth i mean if 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 you can improve as a quarterback year over year that's what you want to see i mean we've seen some of the best quarterbacks in the league tom brady he wasn't that good when he was in his first two three four years he kept getting better and better and better i think you know lamar can continue to hone his craft and get better and better and better and i think going into his fifth season that's what you want to see you want to see him being at his best in this fifth season before you know 
hopefully he signs a new contract with the Ravens and is going to be their quarterback for the rest of his career. Yeah. And, you know, at, at the very, you know, Lamar is just remains underrated on his ability to throw the ball, his ability to throw the ball outside the numbers to the ability to lead an offense that puts up a massive number of points, all things that he has done terribly successfully in his career, including throwing deep. Um, there, there's just a lot of narratives out there that, that I think aren't true. And, and hopefully, you know, Lamar doesn't get hurt and plays to his fullest potential. Um, and I think there are a couple of position groups that beg the question of whether or not they're going to have find that success in, on Lamar's part. And so, you know, let's look a little bit about the running back situation. And, you know, obviously that Dobbins and Edwards injuries to start the year last year were devastating. And we're still seeing the re residual of that. I don't think we're going to see Dobbins active in week one, um, which makes me think that we may not see him active in week two. Um, Gus Edwards won't be active at a minimum until week five. Um, you know, what's your take on where the running back situation is for the Ravens right now? Yeah, it, it's a little bit more concerning than what I was anticipating at the start of the season. I think we all saw, you know, Edwards and Dobbins go down in the span of like what less than a week or within two weeks last year before the season started. And I think we we're all kind of hoping or anticipating that they will be back and ready to start this season. But you know, that doesn't always work that way with with these injuries and an ACL. And I think Dobbins had other damage in his knee as well. It's more than just an ACL for him. It takes some time to recover, and everybody recovers at their own pace. So obviously, when we want them to be back full strength, when they are able to to play, it, it is you know promising that Dobbins has been able to practice. But I agree with you. I think it's unlikely that he plays week one. We'll see you know how many weeks it takes, but he's not going to play unless he gets like a full practice under his belt. Probably a couple practices. That's generally the way that um, the the Ravens coaching staff does it with these players. So I think it is a little bit of a concern. I, I'm glad that they have had someone. To, like Mike Davis, who they've had throughout the entire you know preseason, who's been practicing with them, more familiar with the with the the system, with the playbook, um, so he probably is a little bit more ready to carry the load. Um, but your second running back could potentially be Kenyon Drake, who they just picked up. So I'm not saying it's going to be like 2021 all over again, but there are a little bit of, of that feeling that you're you're not as strong at that position as you'd like to be. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like the Ravens, you know, the Kenyon Drake signing seems to be a signal that the Ravens don't have a lot of trust in Justice Hill, and I don't know if that is also him coming back from his injury. That's going to be an in interesting active versus inactive decision because it does, you know, when, once Dobbins comes back, um, you know, obviously Hill is active but if Dobbins isn't active. Um, but once he comes back, I think Hill's going to have a, a heavy role in special teams. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the Ravens do in terms of carrying those guys. But I think to me, the biggest question becomes what the Ravens do on some of this read option stuff. You know, you look back to 2019 and a huge part of you look at 2019, a huge part of the success was Mark Ingram's ability to navigate the mesh point. You look at 2020 and a huge part of the success was just J.K. Dobbins ability to get to the edge. Um, and stretch the defense laterally, allowing Lamar to stretch the defense vertically. There's all a bunch of big runs from Lamar up the middle once J.K. Dobbins came in and started getting kind of a heavy roll, average six yards per carry that season. Obviously, could be a huge part in what this is going to look like. And so there, you know, there's. I guess what I would say is there's not a whole lot to say about running back until we actually see what happens, because <laughs> the Ravens ran uh, read option. It feels like maybe four times in the preseason, and that might be overstating it. Yeah, and, and when they did run it, it didn't look good. Um, they, they really were struggling to execute it, and I think that might partially be because of the quarterback, but it's also you know running backs that might not have that much experience in this system. So if you kind of lose that aspect of the running game that was, like you said, such a big aspect in 2019, and it was a little different in 2020 with some of the different looks they were doing, more so with like the gap schemes, I think, that started to come in. Um, but it's... It's definitely a concern. Um, they might try some different, you know, looks in the running game and what they're doing. We might see some more kind of stretch zone, like wide zone kind of action. Um, there might be some things that you would see in terms of the poolers with Tyler Linderbaum. You know, he's a really athletic guy, so you can get him on the move and do some different things with him. So I'm kind of interested to see how the running game evolves. You know, that is supposed to be the, the, the strength of Greg Roman. He's like a, a master run game coordinator. So if anybody can kind of do it with a different set of you know players and different set of skill sets, um, I think it's probably someone like Roman. So I'm not saying that the running game is going to be garbage, but I do think there are some concerns there, and it's going to be a lot on how this offense can evolve with it. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really more curious than anything else, but I think it's something to keep an eye on for sure. 
I'll play slight devil's advocate here um, and say that despite the disaster that was the offensive line for the Ravens last year, because once they moved Villanueva from right tackle to left tackle, the domino effect of what that did to that offensive line was was not good. Um, and despite the fact that Devontae Freeman and Latavius Murray had no juice left in the tank, they were running lanes open for those guys last year. And they the, the main reason that they weren't taken care of was not, in my opinion, because of mesh point misreads and not because of their unfamiliarity with the offense, but simply put, Latavius Murray, Murray looked like the slowest running back in football. Um, and Devontae Freeman had good wiggle, but no vertical speed. Um, and that it's not going to take a whole lot to t- turn some of those same opportunities. If you would have inserted Kenyon Drake into the same opportunities for Devontae Freeman last year, or God forbid you had put Tyson Williams in for Devontae Freeman in some of those same situations, you've got to wonder whether or not you would have gotten more juice directly in yardage out of the running backs. Now, I understand why, or I don't necessarily understand, but I could see the argument for why Tyson wasn't making his way into games, et cetera, um, and, and why they didn't think there was a role for him. But I, you could still see the guru that you were just talking about in Greg Roman, even last year when running back was terrible and offensive line was terrible. So I don't think – I'm not ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater because um, Lamar Jackson remains the difference. He makes every he, – he made Latavius Murray and Devontae Freeman actually have a chance. And they were two guys that probably playing for any other team in the NFL just would have been cut or lost their role. Yeah, I think that that's true. And I think there is something to be said for running backs mattering. Uh, we saw that clearly last year. We went from guys picking up six yards a clip in 2020 to, uh, you know, barely four last year. And there was a lot more negative plays, a lot more early stuffs on, you know, on first down. Um, and that set back the offense a lot. So if the running game can, you know, improve even, you know, marginally i think that's definitely going to set up the offense to be better this year well let's talk about the offensive line because you mentioned more wide zone something that we saw in the preseason was more under center snaps so we did see we did see huntley often under center we saw that kind of boot action waggle play which i've been begging for the ravens to do because i think lamar jackson will be dynamite in kind of reverse waggle rollouts and he is a guy that could be on a naked boot every single time and be highly successful but even outside of stylistically what they're trying to do with the offensive line, you've got a, a, an improved center, and the snaps that we saw from Linderbaum were impressive, in my opinion. We've got a big upgraded right tackle um, in Morgan Moses and a guy that we know is healthy, et cetera. Um, we see stability at right guard, obviously, with Zeitler. Ben Powers looks like he's going to be the starting left guard. For whatever you think about that, that a minimum there's continuity that comes in there, really leaving one question for you at left tackle. And so you've got options behind Juwan James and um, the ability to move other guys over there, Falale, um, and you've got Patrick McCarry as kind of that wild card to be able to come off the bench. So it feels like, it feels like, and knock on wood, because you really don't want to say this too loudly because it was so ugly at times last year, but it feels like the offensive line should be significantly improved heading into the 2022 season. Yeah, I think it is improved. I think the depth is clearly improved. Um, I feel much better about the right side of the line. Um, I think that the question mark is still on the left side. And without Ronnie Stanley, you're counting on someone who hasn't played a real snap in the NFL in like two and a half years, and Juwan James. Um, if something goes down with him, then, like you said, you're at Patrick McCarty, who's never played left tackle in the NFL, or perhaps you're putting Valele out there, who's also never played, I don't think, left tackle in his career of playing football. So that's when, you know, you start getting a little anxious about it. Um, But, you know, I'm hoping that Stanley gets back, maybe not week one, but pretty early on in the season, you know, back to practice is something that we definitely want to see with him. And we saw that this past week. Um, So I'm much happier with the depth going into the season than I have been in the most recent, you know, two to three years. Um, and I think that will, you know, pr- prove to be advantageous over the course of the season. Um, left guard, I'm a little hesitant about just because I think we've seen Ben Powers before, and he's a guy. He's not going to kill you, but he's also not going to be someone who's really doing much positive out there in like a stand standout kind of way. So he's going to be able to be serviceable. I would rather see Cleveland play. I think at this point, I think he has a lot more upside in him. Um, both as, as a pass protector and as a run blocker, if he can kind of get it together. Um, I think ideally we'd see him take over at some point in the season. Yeah, I think the problem with Cleveland is he has a, a little too much upside on him when he came into the team. <laughs> not being in shape and not being ready. And, you know, I think the other question to me is, and something the Ravens were 
otherworldly at in 2019 was empty backfield sets um, with five pass protectors and Lamar, giving Lamar space to do his thing. There, There is this misnomer amongst both fans and I think the broader media narrative that the Ravens were only a running team and that that's what made them tick. But there were second and long, third and long situations where the Ravens would on the regular go into empty backfields and there was enough protection to give Lamar enough time to do an exceptional amount of damage. And to me, that's the bigger question here. I think that this group, and even if it's Juwan James or Patrick McCarry or Ronnie Stanley, whoever that is at left tackle, I think that there's enough juice on this offensive line for the running game to be just fine. The big question to me is, can these guys in isolation situations hold up enough um, to stop the pass rush. And so, you know, to just reference tonight's game between the Rams and Bills, like no boom could not handle Von Miller one-on-one, right? And the Rams, for whatever reason, refused to give no boom a lot of help, or even when they did chip him, it didn't do any good because no boom was still getting schooled um, in that process. To me, that's the big question, right? Are the Ravens going to be able to give a guy like Lamar Jackson enough latitude in those big passing situations to either a feel comfortable enough to step up in the pocket, which Lamar seemed deathly afraid of last year, and I don't blame him. Um, or enough latitude to get outside the pocket, extend the play, um, and be able to do some of the same things that we've always seen him be able to do. Um, and I think that Powers and the other three guys to his right give you enough to be able to do that. And I think we see a lot more plays just moving right from this team and a lot more backside protection if James or whoever ends up being at left tackle isn't ready to handle the load. Yeah, I think the empty sets is something that's really interesting. And if you look at overall NFL offenses, offenses that are able to work efficiently in empty um, and have five players running routes, they tend to be the most explosive, the most efficient offenses in the NFL. Um, And that's something that when the Ravens were at their best back in 2019, they had some ridiculous stats in empty. I think... I think Lamar had over half of his touchdown passes thrown out of empty, and he had, like, zero interceptions. It was, like, incredibly, incredibly efficient and incredibly explosive offense. Um, and I'm curious to see how they could potentially get there this year. And I think, you know, we talked about O-line, but maybe we can move into tight, tight end here because I think tight end is kind of a critical component of that because what the tight ends on the roster can do is they can make you have two potential, you know, looks with the same personnel so you can go heavy with tight ends whether it's two tight ends or three tight ends and you can run out of them you can have them lined up on the line of scrimmage you can bring your wide receivers into block and you can be an effective run team that way but you can also if you have guys like andrews and likely on the field you can basically go four wide with two wide receivers and flex out a running back and that's a devastating passing team as well so that kind of flexibility that comes from the depth that the Ravens have at tight end is one of the things that I'm most excited about with this Ravens offense because I think it, it gives them the ability to kind of dictate the personnel that the defense is going to have. And depending on what personnel they put out there, you either run it down their throats or then or you pass it on them because they have some of these big you know linebackers or any defensive linemen out there that can't keep up with the guys like Likely and Andrews who are going to crush them over the middle of the field. Well, and Nick Boyle is one of the quiet injuries as we talk about tight end to this team that didn't really like that didn't really show up on on paper. And Nick Boyle's stats don't really show up on paper, but his ability um, as a primary blocker is huge, right? Because his ability as a pass catcher is not elite, but it's good enough. Um, it's better than what you were going to get from a Patrick Ricard, both in terms of hands and route running, I think. Um, and that's the to me that's the thing that allows you to go to like a thirteen personnel package. Um, and be able to kind of run down their throats, go wide, come in, come out, come in, come out. Um, and and Boyle can be that guy that's chipping on either side, right? Like if, if you need help on either side, on um, whatever that's going to look like, you can take him out of that route, still go empty and still be give Lamar enough time for what you need to do from that. So I think Nick Boyle returning to form of what he was like in 2019 as well. And who knows if he can ever get back to that level. Um, I think I think you're right that that makes this position group really interesting, and I would want to see a lot if Boyle is healthy, a lot of Boyle, likely Andrews on the field together. And heck, I mean, can you imagine the jumbo package with Ricard and a running back with those three guys in there? Um, you could still go wide in in situations like that and let Boyle and Ricard both be in line, um, flat and flex everybody else out. 
Yeah, and and we didn't even mention Josh Oliver. <laughs> you could bring in a four tight end package, um, and instead of Ricard potentially, and have a little bit more you know pass catching upside there. Because all you know Oliver, I was surprised that the Ravens kept him on the roster, but I think he did look good in the preseason. He showed some explosiveness um, in his route running. Um, he's someone who I would think has a role on this team because he's going to be out there for special teams most likely. And if you have that option to bring in, you know, a, a big jumbo package, but with all athletic tight ends who can actually catch passes, it's really interesting. And they, they might just kind of do a complete 180, kind of like we saw in 2019, and have a lot of these three tight ends on the field at the same time. And even if it's not Nick Boyle, guys who can all be kind of dynamic in the passing game. So that's really interesting and something I want to keep my eye on. And, you know, if the Ravens could would decide to, and I'm super curious to watch this, and, and this obviously is a striking philosophical thing for the offense, but if they could stop being allergic to no huddle, I think that they could be a lot more effective in utilizing the advantage of some of these packages. Like, like, like on a third and one, run a tight jumbo package, pick up your first down, and immediately get back to the line of scrimmage, stay tight and then split the five wide and run something like that. Be prepped for that. And you can, you can, and this is the misnomer is that you can control the clock from no huddle, right? There's this idea that, Oh, well, if you're in no huddle, then that means that, you know, you're snapping, 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 you're Brian Kelly, you're doing all this kind of stuff. And that's not what that means, right? It just means that you get to the line quickly and then you can do everything you want. You can come in, you can spread out, but you stop their ability to, you stop the other team's ability to substitute in those situations and take advantage of it. But you've got to, they've got to be committed to be willing to run kind of like that no huddle, sugar huddle and get to the line quicker. And I think that, that these tight end sets could, could really allow them to do that. Yeah. And I think that's, like you said, it's a pretty underrated aspect of how teams control and dictate personnel as well. Because if you get a, the other team in a bad you know personnel package and you decide that you want to keep them in that the way you do that is by running no huddle and not substituting and that allows you to you know kind of push your you know put put your really your foot on their throat in, in those situations and it doesn't necessarily have to be like a quick up tempo like you said but it can also use tempo and you can use tempo especially when you're running the ball because if you get them on their heels and you're running it up the gut that's how you get some of those explosive run games too because after a couple of you know quick plays in a row with that with their back on their heels and getting pushed around, it's pretty easy to rip off a big run, whether that's Lamar or whether that's you know Dobbins if he's healthy, or even like throwing in you know like a, a jet sweep or something to a guy like like Duvernay if he's out there. So you have a lot of options at, at your fingertips, and I think that's something I would love to see Greg Roman employ this year. So what does that mean for the wide receiver group? You know, so we talk, we've talked a lot about the offensive line, the running backs, the tight ends, all the things the Ravens are going to do with their running game. I mean, are some of the concerns that we're hearing about wide receiver overblown? You know, obviously, Bateman, I think, believe that you and I both think that Bateman is going to be very good and essentially replace and be better than what Hollywood Brown had brought to this Ravens team. Crochet's got fantastic hands when given the opportunity, and they could use him very much in kind of, especially when teams are in those zone situations, um, in those kind of like slants and stops and stuff over the middle. If you're using Mark Andrews on the higher end of that route, letting him work underneath that, there's opportunity. And then we saw Demarcus Robinson be look fantastic in the preseason game and really show his ability to use double moves and get behind the defense um, and have good communication with the quarterback. How much of that do the Ravens really need if they're going to run a lot of these heavy packages and be able to find success throwing the ball with three tight ends? I think it's going to be situational. And there are situations in every football game where you need to be able to get a play from your wide receiver, whether it's third and long, because um, you, you're not always going to be in an optimal down distance. And if you can convert some of those plays, um, that, that can be game-tilting in a lot of senses. Um, and a lot of times that means a wide receiver making a play. I mean, it can also be Mark Andrews. He's a playmaker in this offense. He's a guy who can really hurt you in a lot of ways, but he's also going to be someone who defenses are going to be trying to focus on, I think, um, and consider probably consider the, you know, the number one target in this passing offense. So I, I'm with you with, with Bateman, but you know the rest of the guys, they're kind of question marks. I think it's fair to, to say that. We don't know exactly how they're going to perform under the lights in the big moment. We have Because we, frankly, we haven't seen it yet. You know, Robinson has the most experience of any of these guys. You know, he played on that Chiefs team for several years. He came up with some big plays and big moments. But he, he was basically like their fourth wide receiver, too. So he's not someone who's out there all the time. He hasn't been in any of his years in the NFL. So 
I think it is going to take some time to kind of figure out who's like what the pecking order is for this Ravens wide receivers. I think, you know, we might see DuVernay out there at first because he has the most experience probably in the offense. He's seen the most, you know, reps um, in his first two years. Um, but I think Poche will have a role. Um, I thought early on in the training camp, you know, he probably had a leg up on the other guys, but then, you know, the injury happened and he kind of got, you know, maybe sidelined a little bit. And I'm not sure how that's going to affect him, but I do think he's someone who can be impactful um, and he's someone who probably is a little better at, you know, route running and, and getting open than he's given credit for. So I think he can also have a role. And we'll see with Robinson. You know, he, I think if he can be an outside receiver, if he can block well, he'll get some, you know, time in this offense because that's what those receivers that, you know, that X is generally asked to do. Um, and then it allows you to move Bateman around a little bit if, if, if Robinson can kind of be that big guy on the outside. So we'll see how it goes. But, I, I think the question marks are legitimate, but I also think, like you said, with the tight ends, um, they don't necessarily have to be the focal point of the offense. Yeah, well, and in terms of alignments, I think that we'll see more 12 personnel, 12 and 22 personnel from this team than 13 or 0-4 personnel or 1-4 or 0-1 or, zero, one, or uh, one, one tight end and four wide receiver type sets um, than any of it. I think we're going to see two tight ends on the field often probably 50 percent or more of the time based on how it looks like the ravens are trying to utilize this team and once kolar comes back if he is as advertised i mean definitely you're going to see a lot of two tight ends that means you're only going to have two wide receivers on the field at any given time and if they're not like Bateman can be the primary read type but who like you were saying that the other receiver whether that's robinson or proche is likely going to be the third or fourth read no matter what um and so regardless of how talented you want those players to be, whoever your third or fourth read is, is just not going to put up monster numbers in any offense because you're not getting to your third and fourth read. And especially with a guy like Lamar, where actually the third read is Lamar running, right? The yeah. fourth read is the third receiver. The fourth read, you know, when, when you're in those kind of situations or the fourth, the fourth read typically becomes the fifth read, you're just not getting there on those. Um, and so that's why I'm not as concerned about the depth at wide receiver for this team. It's scarier, scarier if Bateman goes out and who is going to step up into that role and be able to be a first read at wide receiver. But likely, Isaiah likely, and, and we didn't talk about him specifically in tight end, is going to potentially be a huge cure to all of this. I think that in every passing situation that the Ravens are in, you can very well have Andrews and likely on the field together. And the threat of that is just can't, can't be understated. Yeah, I, I think it becomes a little less effective in obvious passing downs. As much as I like Likely, I think he's a, a very good um, find by the Ravens. Obviously, as a, as a late fourth-round pick, it's hard to find you know players that look like he has that kind of upside. Um, so I'm excited about what he can do. I think he's probably better suited to be, you know, like a first and second down play action type guy who's out there when you're not in the third and long obvious passing situation because he might be able to, you know, excel in those roles as well, but it's going to be harder, I think, for him to get open against those obvious, you know, passing, you know, looks that defenses are going to have. So that's kind of my concern with Luckley, but I, I do think he'll have a role in offense. I think to me, the big question is, so if we think that the Ravens are going to play in a lot of like two tight end personnel, I think then you flip the question the other way and say, what kind of defenses are the Ravens going to be playing against? I think, the tendency has been to play more zone, even with blitzing, to play more zone than man, because Lamar has the opportunity once everybody's got their back turned to take off and run it in for a touchdown. Likely, what I think about likely that's a little different, where I would slightly disagree with you, and obviously with rookies, you just can't, especially rookie tight ends, expecting a lot is not a, not a great idea. But his ability to find those spots in zones and get open in those situations is what makes him the perfect fit, I think what this Ravens team needs. He seemed to have a really good feel for understanding what a defense was trying to do. And and I've been critical of Greg Roman, but it doesn't take a genius to build good passing concepts around zones if you have good people that understand how to kind of fill and read in around those. And so when you've got two guys like Andrew and Likely that are both good at that, the threat of that then could force teams to play more man, which then would result in Lamar being a better runner. I don't care which way we skin the cat. I think both those options end up being really good for the Ravens. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right about likely his ability. And it's something we definitely saw in the preseason. He seems like a natural 
in terms of finding the you know the soft spot in the zone and making himself a target to the quarterback. Um, and that's something you want your tight end to you know be able to do. Um, and with him and Andrews, you have two guys who you know have a, a really good rapport. Um, it seems with with the quarterback. So that's something that I think is exciting. I think the offense definitely has a ton of upside with, with these guys, even without the the depth that you'd potentially like to see at, at wide receiver. Um, so do so, you think? Do you think the offense is going to be better in 2022 than it was in 2020? Ooh, that's a good question because I think 2020 was actually better than people remember in terms of the offense. Um, it was, you know, obviously it didn't end well, but I think that it has the potential to, for sure. I think a lot of the, you know, weapons at the tight end position, especially with Boyle being out in the end of 20, 20 season, or is, is significantly better. Wide receiver is probably a wash, maybe even a little better this year than it was in 2020. Um, so the one big question mark is then the running back position. And can you get, you know, a guy like Dobbins back to the, where he was as a rookie when he was really a difference maker for that team? So if, if Dobbins can come back and look like that, this offense could potentially be, you know, the best we've seen since and, and, and maybe you rival the 2019, 2019 year. If, if, if a lot depends on, I think, the running back room, honestly. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, I, I think it's going to be better than the 2020 offense. You can't be as, you, you can't ever say that you expect an offense to be as good as the 2019 offense. But I think, that, I think Isaiah Likely's development and, you know, this whole thing of a guy be, looking like something in training camp. Like, in, and this happens every year, and it's not just the Ravens where you hear about this guy on either side of the ball, a ton of sacks, always in the backfield, a bunch of big catches, whatever that looks like. And then you actually play a game, and it doesn't translate. Or you play a game, and it's like Jamar Bridges. You see him in the first game, and then he vanishes after that, right? Isaiah likely showed up, showed out, and was clearly, clearly a guy that could be a go-to option. And to me, I think that's the X factor that's going to take this offense farther um, than it was in 2020. And, and, you know, like you mentioned, the injuries kind of piled up towards the end of 2020 as well, um, with Stanley going out in November and then Boyle going out. And that, that really did significantly change things for that team, but they were still pretty effective overall. So um, let's talk about, you know, if we think the offense is going to be as good or potentially better than 2020, let's talk about the defense because it can't really get worse than it was in 2021, huh? Yeah, that, I mean, the defense last year was, was, strangely bad um terrible. one of the things that terrible. was a was a hallmark of, of last year or i'll say two hallmarks blown coverages and missed tackles those were the two things that we saw repeatedly throughout the entire season um i think you know there were changes made to the coaching staff largely because of those things um and i think i would expect improvements um across the board um in both those areas so I do think the defense will be better than, than it was last year. It's hard to be worse. Um, how much better is actually probably what kind of dictates how good this team might be. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think it starts up front with the defensive line. And this is as good of a group on defensive line that I can remember the Ravens having since that year that Nada and Timmy Jernigan and, like, that interior set of guys were meaningfully creating four-man rushes with Dumerville and Suggs. Um I just think there's a lot of potential, especially once Travis Jones gets back. And I still don't understand why he was playing in the fourth quarter of that pre- the second preseason game. But once Travis Jones gets back, the, the ability of this group is one that is tantalizingly interesting in a way that it has not been in some time. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think this defensive line is as good as it's been in probably close to a decade. Um, and it has potential to be maybe as good as it we've seen since like 2006 just in terms of the talent they have in the defensive line specifically because you you went out and you brought in a guy like Michael Pierce who is a great run defender a really solid nose tackle who can also rush the passer a little bit and then you still have Clayus Campbell you still have Justin Matabike you still have Roderick Washington who's flashed you still have um you know Travis Jones who you mentioned who is a very I think exciting rookie and that's a that's a really deep line and i think we'll see them use in different alignments which i'm excited about um and i think they might actually for once be a, a actual impactful pass rushing element of this defense which is something we haven't seen in a while so that's exciting to me and i think that's probably the strength of the front seven for sure is a defensive line well i think though i think 
I think I agree with that. A and B, I think that we're going to see more one gap approaches. I I want to see more one gap approaches from so. this defense because part of the thing that always held this defensive back de- defensive line back was that the two gap approach needing to use Brandon Williams the way he was used, essentially not being able to. He he was going to be ineffective as a one gapper regardless. Um, and so that's where you know when you've got guys like Calais Campbell and Justin Matabike, who I think could really shine in one gap situations. Um, I'm really interested to see, you know, what we're going to see from this group. So, you know, I, I think, you know, outstanding of depth early in the season, the outside linebacker group might be better than this defensive line group. And that's putting a lot of eggs and a lot of stock in Adafi Owe and what we think that we're going to see from him. But if it is as advertised, and I think it's fascinating that he played essentially his entire college career and all of last year with a shoulder brace. Um, finally got surgery to fix whatever the issue was related to that. Feels really good now and is actually playing without a brace for the first time ever in his football career, in addition to kind of having the development that we had from him. We saw a really good impact from Justin Houston last year when he was on the field. I know there's nobody else behind those guys right now, but Tyus Bowser is legitimately one of the best outside linebackers. Like he's, he's a very good Sam linebacker that gives you a ton of flexibility, his ability to play in space. And then Ajaba was legitimately in the conversations of being a top six pick. And if he didn't tear his Achilles, there, there was a very reasonable chance that he was going to, I think he would have gone in the top 10 and potentially gone higher than that just because of the way pass rush is valued. So Yes, there's a lot of questions marks in there, and a lot of that is tied up in health, and the Ravens have really sucked at health lately. Um, but I think that outside linebacker group, actually, by the time we get to the end of this season, is going to be the one that we're talking about. I think you might be right when we're talking about the end of the season, because I think Owe is going to potentially have a very big season. I think, you know, he looked like he didn't quite have a complete understanding of how to together the full pass rush as a rookie there was times where he was like really getting out of stance quick and just being basically unblockable but those times were few and frankly far between there was only a handful of, of reps where he was like oh my god that's what you want him to be there's a lot where he kind of whether he was slow out of his stance or not knowing how to kind of like shed the block or use a counter those are the things that he learned hopefully going from one year to year two and he obviously has all the physical like skills, the size, the length, the speed, the explosiveness, the strength. Like he can be a dominant pass rusher if he's given, you know, the proper, you know, opportunity and, and skill set to to learn. And I think he can definitely be a double digit sack guy in this year. Um, Houston, like you said, he's been I think a really good player for the Ravens in this that, that one year last year. Um, he was on the field a lot. He took a lot of snaps, and he was very productive. Um, the sacks might not have been there, but he was one of the most productive pass rushers in the NFL on like a per snap basis. Um, if you can convert a few more of those, uh, you know, quarterback pressures and hits into into sacks, then you're potentially looking at like a 20 sack, you know, combo between the two guys. I think that's very legitimate. And then you just hope that you have other guys who can fill in in the meantime, whether it's Stephen Means, you know, playing 10 snaps a game to kind of give them a blow. Or, you know, Kyle Fackrell, Kyler Fackrell, who they just signed um, also to the practice squad. I think he has an, uh, he has some ability. You know, he's, he's been around the league for a few years. He's a good veteran, I think. So that gives you some depth there as well. Um, and then, you know, hope, hopefully Bowser is ready to go as soon as he's off the pup. And that then your depth is starting to look better. I don't know when Ajabo will be back if he's playing the season. I hope so. But obviously at that point, then you are talking about them as potentially the, the best you know, unit on the, the front seven. And if you combine that with the defensive line, then you have a really extremely high potential to be, I think, a, not only just a good a good pass rush, but also just an overall really dominant front seven. And, and that's that's really exciting. Well, I think I think these the two groups go hand in hand in that if the Ravens go into opportunities, create pass rush situations from, if you had a Calais Campbell, Travis Jones, Justin Matabike on the field together, with a Houston OA, a Jabo Bowser, like take your pick of which two guys you want out there, right? That's a that's going to be a really menacing and effective pass rush, um, and you can you can do that with four or you can do that with five guys, and so you're going to create more single opportunities on the outside in those situations because double teams are going to have to come in against guys like Jones or OA or Jones or Campbell or um, Matabike because that pressure up the middle is going to be more threatening, and OA, OA has 
the tantalizing athleticism to convert that, and Justin Houston, Houston has that veteran savvy to convert that. And I think that part of what made Houston's numbers really interesting last year was his success against double teams. And so can Justin Houston get more opportunities without those double teams if you make these changes? And w- what kind of stride forward, even though he's getting older, what kind of stride forward could you see from him if that's what we end up, what ends up happening? Yeah, and we're not really talking too much about kind of like offensive or defensive scheme in this podcast, but one of the things that you mentioned earlier was like with the one-gap penetration versus kind of the two-gap mindset that, you know, the Ravens have had for a long time. We'll see how that changes with Mike McDonald, if it changes. But the other thing I'm interested to see is how much are the Ravens going to use a four-man rush? You know, we talked at the beginning of this podcast about how the Bills were able to kind of get after the quarterback in this, this Thursday night game. Um, just using a four-man rush. And it's because they have depth up front. They have all these kind of defensive and defensive tackle types who can really just, you know, keep applying the pressure. And they didn't have to blitz. Um, the, the Ravens could potentially get there if all these guys are available to them and healthy. I think that's a really interesting upside of this group because in the past, you know, what, three, five years with Wink and even Dean Pease before him, it was a very, very blitz-happy defensive scheme and, and there was you know there was some simulated pressure thrown in there and there's a lot of blitzing from like defensive backs and you know kind of this like crazy like rex ryan style you know whatever you want to call it but if you can get to something that's a little bit more simple i think on the front end and just win you know your one-on-one matchups maybe do a little more simulated pressure than actual pressure and then get after the quarterback with just four you know, the secondary that we're going to talk about very shortly, I think has a chance to be extremely effective because the front four can then allow you to have more players in coverage. And that can, you know, give you some coverage sacks instead of just, you know, getting there with a blitz in like one or two seconds. Yeah. And, you know, let's wrap up the front seven with inside linebacker. I think you and I both think that it's going to be a pretty low impact group overall. There are a lot of guys in inside linebacker right now. I think there won't be honestly a lot of snaps taken by guys at inside linebacker when it's all said uh all said and done because the ravens are going to use safety in other situations um when it comes to that but i mean there is i think binds is steady and 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 kind of going to get what you expect but there's still some upside wrapped up in there patrick queen can take another step forward in the season and he was young when the ravens drafted him he was inexperienced in terms of his kind of lifetime like lifetime of playing college football as well there's still some upside in inside linebacker if Queen can take it to the next level. They could really plus up this defense to a scary level. Yeah, you talked about um, Isaiah likely kind of being like the wild card on the offense. I think Queen might be kind of the wild card on the defense. If he if he can be a player that's not a, a net negative <laughs> in terms of what he can do, I mean, he's been kind of exposed in, in, in pass coverage. Um, that's just the fact. He has not been a good third down back or and passing down back for the Ravens or, or linebacker for the Ravens. He's just struggled in that role. Um, but if he can kind of, you know, transform into someone who is, you know, you know maybe being used on some of those simulated pressures, um, someone who just has a simpler assignment perhaps in, in what he's being asked to do in defense and being able to actually like nail that down and be good in that role, then he can kind of elevate this whole defense because they were really having struggles figuring out how to hide him on defense at times. And eventually they, the coaches took him off the field um, and they started playing, you know, whether it was a safety or, you know, extra cornerback or somebody. And maybe we'll see that this year, but he has skills. He is, a, I think, you know, a very upside kind of player with, you know, the athletic potential. Um, we've seen a lot of those, you know, tackle for losses last year. I think he was getting more competent in run defense. If he can, you know, continue to evolve, he might be the kind of difference maker. The rest of this linebacking crew, I mean, we have basically like three guys who are kind of special teamers who probably won't see the field at all. And I think that really is a special team's decision. That's why they're on the roster. Um, and then you have a guy in Malik Harrison who potentially could see some snaps at outside linebacker if they need depth there, maybe at the Sam position. We might see some 4-3 looks with him playing Sam. Um, maybe Calais Campbell on the edge. Um, that's something that we could see. We talked. I think the Ravens coaches talked a little bit about that as well. Um, so that's something that could be interesting. Um, Josh Ross is someone we loved in preseason, and maybe he'll have a role in this defense as well. So I don't. I don't want to kind of just completely dismiss him from this 
whole conversation because he was kept on the roster, you know, as an undrafted player. And he did have, I thought, a fantastic preseason. So if he can, you know, kind of look as good in a limited role, he might begin taking some snaps. Um, maybe that's from Bynes. Maybe that's from Queen. Uh, we, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But it, it's an interesting group of players. Um, I, I think it might still be the weakest position on <laughs> on the roster, even though there's six of them. Um, none of them really have shown that they're like standout players. So we're hoping that one or two of them make a leap this year. Well, half of them are just going to have to be inactive. I, I mean, they're, they're, the, the inactives aren't going to come from anywhere else. So well, I don't think they're inactive because they're all core special teamers. You know, you, you brought in Deshaun, what was his name? The Phillips? Deshaun Phillips. Phillips? Um, yeah, Phillips. Welch is clearly just a special teamer. Um, Harrison is a key special team player for them. So but those they all not... can't be active. Who who is gonna who is gonna be in, like okay? One of the running backs is gonna be inactive, right? Like, Probably. But you're saying Oliver's gonna be active because you called him a key special teamers. Yeah. All the inside linebackers are gonna be <laughs> active because I mean, they're key special teamers. One of the defensive linemen will be inactive. Yeah. All your safeties are gonna be active. Uh, two of the two of the inside linebackers, two or three of the inside linebackers are just gonna have to be inactive. They just all. Well, I think you'll have two offensive linemen who are inactive. Because you you only need eight active offensive linemen on a given day, and all oh, right, you have that flex inactive. Yeah, right. And then I think you probably have one or two cornerbacks who are also inactive because you probably don't need to have six active corners either. So that would be my guess. My guess, Jalen Armour Davis is an inactive uh, for the first half of the season until someone gets hurt and he has to play because you know he didn't play much in the preseason. He was hurt. But, he had a concussion. So. But if it's Jalen think... Armour, if it's Jalen Armour Davis, yeah. J.K. Dobbins, Travis Jones to start the year. There's mm-hmm. still three other guys that have to be inactive. Well, two offensive linemen. Okay, so then there's still another guy. I mean, I, I just think that I don't know. It's it's a it's a peculiar it's a peculiar iteration to have that in, that many inside linebackers when. Yeah. Anyway. It is, but you also only have two outside linebackers who are active. So <laughs> that's true. That is true. I kind of forgot that 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 um some of those guys will flex out there. So anyway, I think the inactive decisions are going to be an interesting one to watch this year, but. You know, let's talk a little bit about the secondary, um, you know, because we were talking a little bit about the corners. And, I, you know, I think this is a, a group as a whole that should be a strength. Marcus Peters, from the limited clips that we've seen of him, looks like he's going to be just fine. Very smart player. Marlon Humphrey should bounce back, right? Like, Pepe Williams looks like he's going to be a factor at slot. I mean, even Brandon Stevens, who was left on an island and not schemed very effectively in the preseason, still flashed, I think, in the coverage skills that we saw from him. And it wasn't it wasn't kind of like some of the moments from Seymour or Worley where they just seemed like they were they, they didn't get it. That wasn't the situations that he was getting beat in. So I, I think there's a pretty deep group that should be a pretty effective one barring injury. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean the top two is arguably, you know, the top two corners in any team in the, in the league. I think it's right up there in that conversation. Um, I mean, Peters will have to wait and see how he looks after coming back from injury, but I do think he'll be starting week one. Um, I might be wrong about that, but that's just my, that's my gut instinct there. Um, and then, you know, I think the question mark is who is, like, that third cornerback? Is it is it Fuller? Is he going to come in as the veteran and be, like, is he going to play outside and push Humphrey into the slot? Is he going to play as a starting slot cornerback? Um, I think that that's a question mark right now. And then the other option to me is, you know, is is Williams, who I think really played well in the preseason. Um, I, I mean, he might have had, you know, a few mistakes here and there. He's a rookie. That's going to happen. But I think he's someone who's feisty. He has a little bit more kind of playmaking in him, potentially. You know, there's a lot of there's a little bit of that Tavon Young kind of feel that you get from him. So I would like to see him out there. Um, getting actual, you know, snaps on this defense right away. And that might be just, you know, me liking a guy who's kind of a fun, exciting fan favorite, but I think he deserves to be out there from what I've seen out of him. Well, and, and this all goes back to, and this is why football is such a great sport, why all these things interlock together. You can, when you have guys, when you have guys like Humphrey and Peters that you're not using to blitz the crap out of other teams, which is what Wink used them for, let's be honest. Um, he used his ability to have two top-tier cornerbacks to to utilize that piece. Then you can protect the guy in the slot more, right? You can lean more coverage more that way. You can do more to help Patrick Queen in, in terms of passing coverage and not give him the entire middle of the field to have to cover all by himself at times. Um, or Malik Harrison, which at times felt like he was doing that. So some of these 
scheme things will solve that. But and I also think Fuller, you know, Fuller is an interesting one in the sense that he's a veteran. So are we going to get a Jimmy Smith like production from him? And if the Ravens do get that kind of value from him, then I think that that I think the cornerback position is going to be one that we're not even worried about at all by the time we get to the end of the season. I, I certainly hope so. And I do think they have depth. And even now they look at the practice squad. They were able to bring back our Darius Washington. He's on the squad. Uh, Seymour also on the squad. Those are two players that are probably, you know, your next two best players from, you know, preseason training camp. So those guys could potentially, you know, have an impact sometime if injuries do crop up. So I'm not hoping that happens, but I think you have some upside there as well if needed. Um, and then safety, I think we'll see a lot of safety players this year. I think we might see, you know, three, four safeties on the field in some instances because I think what Kyle Hamilton can do for you is, is not just be a safety. I think he can play some linebacker for you. I think he can play some, he can be a blitzer for you. He can do a lot of things. He can kind of take away a big slot, whether it's a tight end or like, a you know, one of those bigger kind of Chase Claypool types. Uh, maybe not be someone who's going to be a, covering somebody one-on-one and down the field, but I think he has, you know, a lot of flexibility in what he can do because he can play single high safety. So that, that's a kind of a really interesting player that's going to be interesting to see how, you you use in this in this defense and then obviously you have marcus williams who is one of the best free safeties in the nfl and that's an impact player that i think has gotten almost no public pub on this entire offseason they signed him as a massive signing and he's kind of flown completely completely under the radar and the impact he could have on this defense um, and what he can do as a playmaker in the back end is is incredibly interesting for me to watch and to me it's not even I, I totally agree with you, and it goes back to the broken play piece and the busted coverages and his ability to help this team get those things cleaned up. I'll be fascinated to see if the Ravens put actual four safety packages out on the field but this year. That would be fascinating to see as well, especially given that they've got six inside linebackers that apparently are all going to be active. Like, what the heck? Uh, why not? But um, I think you're right. Marcus Williams is the X factor for this defense and is going to be – a multiplying effect downstream for the rest of the defense. I think Kyle Hamilton has the potential to be a game breaker as well. So you talk about, you know, you talk about Patrick Queen being the guy that could plus up this defense. I look at, I look at um, Kyle Hamilton as that guy mm-hmm. that if he, yeah. if he plays like what we saw in the preseason, which was very good and mostly in the right place at the same time, but seemed to be processing a step slow and be a step behind where he needed to be, but he was making up with it with athleticism then he's going to be a good player and he's going to add value, but he's not going to be a game breaker. If he gets the difference in the processing speed, if they scheme him up to be able to use him the right way, or he's able to kind of figure out how to figure his piece in the defense out and starts to generate turnovers in some way or another, or come up with some of those big third down stops. I think he, to me, he's the guy that's going to take this defense to the next level. And we've seen that with rookie safeties that get given roles like this at times. They really do take defenses to another level that, and in ways that people didn't anticipate. Derwin James being a good example of a safety that fell in the draft um, and still had a massive impact as rookie year for that team. Yeah, I mean, that's like the ideal kind of projection for Hamilton, right? Is He can be a Derwin James kind of player. Um, can you use him as kind of this, you know, jack of all trades is he willing is he able to take on that kind of a role where he's asked to do potentially different things whether it's rushing the passer you know playing linebacker in terms of his run fits then having the flexibility to kind of you know drop into coverage or man up on somebody in the slot you know these are all things that you know james has excelled in um and he's some he's a rare rare unique player but i think kyle hamilton is also a rare unique player and i think he has that upside to do that and if he is kind of unleashed and if he takes on that role and excels in it it's definitely going to you know take the the upside of this defense to being like a top five top three type of defensive unit this year totally agree so well we're we're right up against week one and we're right up against this opportunity to see something interesting from the ravens and where this year is going to go um you know what are your expectations for week one and you know what are you thinking this matchup with the jets is going to look like so i'm I'm excited. I think that there's a lot of unknowns, um, especially with what we didn't see in the preseason in terms of players, because we didn't see any of the starters basically play all preseason. So that's except Ben Powers out of position. (laughs) Yeah, except for Ben Powers playing center. Um, And then you know, I guess we saw uh, Travis Jones who got hurt playing in the fourth quarter of a a meaningless game. Um, So aside from that. 
I, I honestly don't know what to expect. I, I think Lamar Jackson is going to be dynamic. I think the offense is going to be very good. Um, I think the question marks are, you know, can you run the ball as well as you'd want to? Because I think that's still the focal point of the offense. And if you can't run the ball, then I think it, it's going to, we're going to see some of the same struggles we saw last year. Um, but sometimes it's, a, it's more of a, a scheme and a play calling thing, a sequencing of plays instead of uh, actual play design. So I, I don't know. I think it's just a question mark of, of how that, that goes. But I think on paper, the Ravens are one of the better teams in the NFL. And if they can put it all together, they should just destroy the Jets. That's, that's my opinion. Like, they're, I mean, the Jets have some talent, but like they, they do not have Lamar Jackson at quarterback. It's like a, a grand canyon sized difference in talent at the most important position on the field. And I think that's what's going to determine the outcome of this game. Yeah, I think the, the Joe Flacco thing is fascinating and interesting. I think the rust is a real question. You know, we saw it. We saw it with the even with the Bills and um, the Rams tonight, where the Bills, having not really played their starters, looked super rusty in the first half, tightened it up and, and cleaned up kind of around the edges what that needed to look like. The Rams alternately never got it cleaned up on offensive line. The Rams reminded me very much of the, the Packers last year and week one against the Saints where they just look like they weren't ready. And I think they're going to come out and look a lot better next week and get a lot of the, some of those things that look like there were problems cleaned up. And I think there's going to be not a lot that was informative about that game for them. Um, but I, I think the Jets are just going to struggle struggle to score in this Ravens defense. As long as – I think the Ravens can stay relatively base in terms of what they're doing. They don't have to get crazy exotic in the talent – on the on the defense is going to overwhelm the talent on the offense and then you throw in the factor of being able to run the ball i think you're going to see a lot of Brees hall from the jets because they're just not going to kind of cut joe flacco loose and um ultimately it's just going to stagnate them out and so hopefully we see kind of something similar to what you saw tonight from from the bills performance but um Overall, I'm with you. I think that there's a good opportunity for the Ravens to kind of come out here and steamroll the Jets. And I think that the Ravens have a good opportunity to kind of catch a couple teams early on, but both the Jets and the Patriots, where they get to clean up some of this stuff. They get to work out the rust. They get to work out some of these concerns and issues that we've talked about here tonight uh, and make sure that they have a, a shot to clean them up. The, the Miami game will be an interesting one because um, I think that they've plussed up more than probably anybody else um, in that division. But, you know, I am a little worried about some of the things that you share concerns about, but I think that I think that there's way more, like on the balance scale of if things don't go well and they collapse versus if things do go well and they can rise to its potential upside, the imbalance between those is pretty significant with the potential for opportunity being much more significantly higher than the, the opportunity for loss. Yeah, I think for me, there's a few matchups that I'm concerned about, just like kind of like on the field. I think the the Jets have some good defensive line talent, um, and that's, that's something that could potentially impact the Ravens, and that's why I was worried about the run game a little bit. Um, and, and if the run game doesn't start and there's some third and longs, then you have Carl Lawson and and um, the rookie Johnson, Jermaine Johnson coming off the edge. You know, those are two players who, you know, have, well, I mean, we haven't seen Johnson play, but I think a lot of us were high on him as, as a prospect. And then Lawson, you know, we, we've seen him in the, the division for four years. He had some really nice years with the, with the Bengals. And I mean, he is coming back off injury, but um, if, if they have those two guys, you know, being uh, a tough player, pass rush duo that that's where i might be concerned if ronnie stanley isn't out there and then on the other side um you know the, the jets have some good offensive weapons especially wide receiver they drafted garrett wilson in the top 10 they have um last year's early second round pick elijah moore who i think could be a potential nightmare in the slot um if if the ravens don't have a, a pass rush that can get home and if he's matched up on someone like kyle fuller i don't think that's a good matchup for, for the ravens but um that's still you know, counting on Joe Flacco to be able to get him the ball. So I think that, you know, if things go well, especially early on for the Ravens, they can run away with this game. Um, if things don't, don't go well, if there's turnovers, um, then that, that's when it, it, it could potentially go the wrong way. But I still think talent, um, especially talent at the quarterback position, was what wins out, and I think they win by a two-score margin. Yeah, I'm excited to see some of these position groups as individual mechanisms on the Ravens side that we've talked about 
actually be implemented to see what that scheme looks like, to see how this game is going to break down and what the approach is going to be. So um, at the end of the day, I, I agree with you. I think the Ravens are going to win by at least 10 in this game. Um, I think the Jets aren't just going to have it, but you do worry a little bit anytime a team's got to go on the road for the first game of the season. But Harbaugh seems to have these guys usually worked up and schemed pretty well heading into week one of the season. It's a first game for the Jets head coach. So I just think that I think a lot of the, the favorables are, are positive for the Ravens for this this week. And, um, you know, looking more broadly at the season, you know, that's really the big question, right? I think a lot of, you know, a loss would be devastating to the Jets, I think, obviously in conference and a team that they should beat. But overall, I think the bigger question is not, are the Ravens going to beat the Jets, but how far are the Ravens going to go in this 2022 season? Um, and I, I think that this is a 12 plus win team easily um and potential has the potential to be better like i wouldn't be surprised if they ended up being 15 and 2. wow 15 and 2 would be quite um quite the feat i think um i mean anything i think is possible and if lamar comes out and plays like mvp lamar and you know some of these pieces around him click i think that's 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 it within the realm of possibility um and if you do kind of live in that 14 15 win area you're talking about number one seed in the AFC, and, and that's obviously something we, we saw back in 2019. Um, but I think it's a much more experienced and, and veteran team than it was then. Um, and I think then the Ravens are in good position to kind of, you know, be a, a Super Bowl, you know, winner, if not, um, you know, favorite. Um, I, I'm looking more at 12 to 13 wins as, as a likely outcome, just because I think some of the injuries may slow them down early on in the season. Um, but it's a, a, a not the worst, you know, schedule. Um, they're a, a last place schedule. They're not playing the hardest divisions either. So I think they have an opportunity definitely to, to pile on some of those wins. Um, and if you can get through this early part where you're getting guys back from, from injury uh, and you're getting full strength by midseason towards the end of the year, I think this is definitely a team that could get the ball rolling and, and you know, just kind of like rattle off wins at the end of the season like we saw back back in that 2019 year so I, I i'm with you i think it's definitely um a, i would say minimum 12 wins uh without with upside to to get there to the you know 14 range probably yeah i feel pretty good about the 12 win marker for this team I, I mean there are a lot of there are a ton of question marks in this season and it's i would say that this would probably be one of the more difficult difficult seasons they handicap because if look if, if the same problems mount as they did last year, and Ronnie Stanley never comes back. J.K. Dobbins is, does not return from health to health, and J. Gus Edwards doesn't come back and give you anything meaningful, and you don't have any juice at the running back position. Then I, you know, you already shared this. There's a potential that this team won't go anywhere. Now, the rest of the offensive line could just like there are just so many peculiar factors around that that the offensive line could gel together anyway and still perform better than they did last year. But the defense, maybe the defensive problems that we saw last year aren't solved. It just seems to me like there are a lot of there were a lot of either fluky things or surprising things that happened last year that I think are going to normalize or regress to the mean on the defense in particular. I mean, if, if you just took last year's defense and replaced it with any of the defenses of the prior three years, which is always been kind of the norm of that kind of top 10 ish, like no worse than 15 ranked defense from the Ravens. It would have been a team that made the playoffs easily. Um, and so if, if you add that in as a factor and assume that Lamar is going to be healthy for the entire balance of the season and you're going to get some performance from offense, it, it just doesn't seem very difficult to me to get to 11 wins. Um, and I'm surprised by some of the people that have skepticism. This team is not going to get to that threshold. Yeah, I, I don't I don't see that's not getting there unless like, you know, Lamar Jackson gets hurt again or if multiple players at the same position group go down and that can always happen. But you hope for health, especially after such bad luck last year. You think the the odds would work the other way? It doesn't necessarily work that way, but um, I think you know you can't expect to be that banged up again. Yeah, and I've got sizable personal interest in the Ravens getting it right in terms of Lamar staying healthy all year and being an MVP candidate, uh, and the Ravens being a Super Bowl candidate. So um, 
Hopefully we'll see that. You and I will be watching week one together. We're excited to break that down, get everybody in here, show um, show some of the highlights and the clips from the games that we think were important plays from a scheme or an outcome perspective or an individual performance perspective. We're hopeful to be able to get some of that stuff up on kind of Sunday nights or Monday nights right away when, when these games happen. Uh, get that information out to you guys, tweet about it, get engaged. Um, so... We're looking forward to seeing you. Um, you guys can find us on Twitter, uh, Gabe's at Gabe Fergie. I'm at Raven Sit Room, um, and we're we're super excited to get into the season. So we hope you join us next time in the Situation Room. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn five dollars into one hundred and fifty dollars instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code Champion One Fifty. Then Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.